Well, it's finally begun. The summer of identity politics and race baiting officially kicked off last week with three events that all occurred on the same day. The Starbucks racial bias training, MSNBC's Everyday Racism in America Town Hall, and the Roseanne Barr tweet controversy. We talk about how the Roseanne tweet controversy will be used to push the blue wave agenda, and we go through some of the Starbucks racial bias training material to show how the training is far more likely to make racial division in America worse than it is to do anything else. You're listening to the Propaganda Report. I'm Brad Binkley here with Monica Perez. Monica, how are you? Good. How are you doing? You know, I went through the entire Starbucks racial bias training, and I'm just trying to recover and process all of these things that I learned about myself. Well, you are, by your very existence, uh, offensive. That is what I'm (laughs) I'm learning. I'm offended by you. As you should be. I'm a white dude. After going through this Starbucks racial training material, I'm offended by me. Do I have any intersectionality? My grandma was Syrian. My husband's Puerto Rican. And I'm a chick. Come on. I could run for governor. (laughs) Well, you make a good argument, but I think you're missing the key characteristic of an intersectionality candidate. You're not an extreme progressive, and I think that's going to uh, exclude you. Okay, I know we're on a shortened time schedule today, so we should dive in. But first, since this is our 100th show, or the show that is getting the label of our 100th show... We want to thank everybody who's donated to the show through PayPal, Patreon, who has retweeted our show when we put it up on Twitter, who has constantly engaged in the online conversation with us, who has told their friends about us, who has left us positive ratings on iTunes, everybody who has been supportive of us throughout the uh, tenure of our show. When we say that we could not do it without you, we could not do it without you, so Thank you very, very much for your continued support, and anybody who wants to donate to the show, you can click on the PayPal link or go to Patreon, which will both be in the description of the show, or you can retweet the shows or tell your friends about it. Every little bit helps. Again, thank you very much. Thank you so, so much. I'm right there with you, Binkley. I would just add that it's not just that we couldn't do it without you. We wouldn't do it without you. We couldn't do it without the donations. And every time there's a glitch or a delay, it's 100% a function of how hard it is to edit something or the equipment isn't great or the, uh, the Internet speed wasn't great when we were doing it. And a lot of that is a function of your equipment, your software. And as we get more donations, we continue to work to improve that stuff, adding to it little by little. But it's really the positive feedback, the shout-outs, the good jobs, the um, seeing people defend us when we have to take heat for something that we said. And uh, and it just – it goes such a long way for us, and uh, the affirmation is so important. I mean, Lord knows we get enough uh, challenges – along the way and that's really why we do it so i greatly appreciate that i have to say as a 100th episode i i think it takes a lot to kind of um develop a rapport and keep plugging along and we have been working at this for years and it is certainly uh we have our own style and 
that takes uh, that takes time and trial and error and feedback. And uh, we appreciate that our audience continues to grow. And that's you. So many, many thanks. I believe that these racially charged events foreshadowed in a major way what's to come this summer leading up to the 2018 midterm elections. I actually think that they were kind of like an opening ceremony for the summer of identity politics because the reporting on them really hammered home these these themes that are central to the blue wave propaganda, especially the reporting on Roseanne's tweets. In the beginning, they said they they read the racist tweet, and now they don't anymore because they act like they're taking the high road, but they spread it everywhere. And I have to say, I actually found it so profoundly offensive. The Muslim Brotherhood thing is, <laughs> or like the Muslim Brotherhood is a British intelligence operation, so I don't. And I'm sure they're all in on that together. But um, but the other part uh, I find so profoundly offensive that I actually won't repeat it. And I and I'm I am skeptical that Roseanne did not realize how deeply offensive and outrageous and unfair that kind of thing is. Yeah, the tweet was racist, and she should have known that people were going to react that way. I will say this. She's a comedian. This is what comedians do. Not to say that they say a racist thing. Does she say racist things? She said stuff in in a similar tone her entire career, just as have many comedians. Do you have any examples of her saying stuff that's like overtly dehumanizingly like I don't I don't off the top of my head but I know for a fact that if you go back and watch any Comedy Central roast over the past 20 years anything she's on or any of her stand-up or any popular stand-up comedian from the 80s you are going to get those borderline or over the borderline offensive comments especially these Comedy Central roasts that tweet at a Comedy Central roast in like 1998 or 2000 would be probably one of the least offensive jokes that you hear. I I trust you on that, but I'm not defending it. I'm just saying. No, that no, I know you're not defending. Not, like, I'm just saying, like Dave Chappelle's show, people really criticized him and Eddie Murphy and stuff as, you know, essentially racist because they mocked and exaggerated certain subcultures. Okay. That that's racist. And I can see Roseanne doing that and thinking whatever. But this is like true, pure, <laughs> offensive racism, like dehumanizing. I, I just this yeah, it's seems shocking to me so beyond what uh, what you would like inadvertently say because you thought it was funny. Although, well, no, they try to be shocking to get a response. That's yeah, in their that nature to true. do that. And I, she would not have to be in on it for them to have because I, I just see this as a setup that they yeah. teed it up you know that their entire plan in resurrecting her show or they had two you know an option tree they resurrect the show and either it does the archie bunker thing where it makes trump supporters look like absolute imbeciles or it backfires and uh and people find it you know lovable and right. then and then they have to blow her up, which they know they can do because she says stuff like that. So they tell her, push the envelope, go crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then she does it. And then um, they pull the rug out or they tell her, 
she's really on their side and she does it on purpose to go down with the ship. But in any case, this thing absolutely seems like a setup. I mean, the timing of it definitely supports the theory that it was a setup. It happened on the same day as a Starbucks racial bias training and the MSNBC uh, racism town hall thing. There's a journal article that flashed across my screen. I clicked on it and it, um, and it's about the Starbucks thing. And it says, Almost on cue, just as Tuesday's training was getting started, attention moved to a fresher example of corporate crisis management. Exactly. Following a racist tweet by comedian Roseanne Barr, her hit television show was canceled by Walt Disney Company's ABC. So that's it in a nutshell. They're spelling it out for you. Yeah, the moral obligation is being filled by corporate America because Trump won't do it. And Trump is Roseanne, and Roseanne is Trump's supporters, and Trump's base well, is racist. it's not just that. It, it, on a deeper level, it's about um, what Judge Napolitano – sometimes I just have to scratch my head with this guy. When Matt Lauer got fired, he said, well, a private company is allowed to do that because they're not burdened by having to um, respect your rights. Now, he didn't, maybe he didn't say it quite like that, but he certainly um, – played into the theme that it's kind of cool that these moral corporations have dictatorial power and you don't have to fuss around with 15 years of litigation like with Bill Cosby. Yeah, propping up corporations was definitely a major theme in the reporting. The premise on CNN was basically Trump is immoral. He won't stand up to racism. So corporations like Starbucks and ABC have stepped up to fill the moral leadership vacuum in America. So – Yeah, propping up the corporations is definitely one of the agendas they're pushing with this. But I want to start real quick talking about how they're talking about Roseanne. Because the way they talk about Roseanne is how people like Stacey Abrams and other progressives around the country are going to be talking about Trump supporters, are going to be talking about the threats in America That is why they need to go vote right now. This is what they will be using. This very language, these very arguments is what Stacey Abrams is going to be saying to people when she knocks on their door in order to scare them. So we're getting the very arguments. Roseanne is kicking off the summer of hate that will be um, quenched by the blue wave. Exactly. See, that makes me think she's in on it. She could very well be in on it. The timing of the tweet and the fact that the MSNBC racism in America thing and the Starbucks racial training thing both were pre-planned to happen on the same day. This convergence of news that was just topped off with Roseanne creating the perfect breaking story. Roseanne's show was not a conservative show. It was a Trump show because it was advertised that way, but it made Trump supporters look stupid. Like all the family. Yeah, And this tweet does as well because they are openly saying all Trump supporters are racist now. This guy on MSNBC said that. I heard somebody on CNN say that. They're not holding back from that anymore. It's no longer only half of them are deplorable. It's now all Trump supporters are like Roseanne, and they're all racist. So this, these are the messages there. They've slowly built to this over the course of the past year, and they're going to be knocking on people's doors and over the summer going, Dude, you better come vote for me because the racists are coming to get you. I don't want to keep interrupting you, but um, what I wanted to play on that WSB show last week, I definitely want to play this week, is the stuff from The Circus where Stacey Abrams says yeah. – uh, Trump is the best thing that ever happened to us because it's right. galvanizing people. 
And this is just driving it home. And she is Trump. You're right. I mean, don't you cannot. She's no fool. I can't imagine. Yeah, I can't imagine. Well, in any case, whether she's complicit or knowing or not, this is no. Well, think about it. It's impossible to believe this is a coincidence. She makes this tweet uh, where she compares Valerie Jarrett to an ape. And right. So that that instantly destroys her credibility. Right. Then she follows that tweet up with. Some very accurate tweets about George Soros. Not even the one that, that you mentioned a second ago. Oh, she follows it up. This is after. I believe this is after. So she – I didn't realize it was after. I think it was after. So she – or whatever. No, you, I mean – but what? even if it's just close. They were right around the same time. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So she's racist. Yeah. And – she, she can't believe like George Soros. Exactly. Exactly. They made George Soros the victim. You right. can't believe what ah. Roseanne says because she's a racist. <laughs> so by coupling it together with this racist thing, people dismiss the truth in the other tweets. And that See, the media gets it, away with lying about it. It sounds to me like your your argument here that they're salvaging or um get yeah, salvaging George Soros. I had thought I saw a billboard in Hungary, not in Hungary, but a picture of a billboard that was in Hungary. Um, Orban, whatever I think his name is, the head of Hungary, he is getting under international pressure like you wouldn't believe because he's resisting the immigration pressure. And I think Soros was originally from Hungary, and they have billboards saying George Soros is um, is funding. Uh, policies against our interests here there he's undermining our democracy and all that kind of stuff and i thought they're having billboards against george soros they must be scapegoating this guy he's going to be the receptacle of the world and they're just going to flush him and nancy pelosi down the toilet and have a new left but it sounds to me if this dialectic plays out the way it sounds like it's playing out he is actually going to be vindicated or um you know, redeemed somehow. Yeah, I think they want to normalize them so that it's not seen as a negative thing to take money from Soros. So that if a candidate is being funded by Soros and you go to somebody and say, hey, you know, so-and-so is funded by Soros, they'll say, so what? There's nothing wrong with Soros. You know, that way he can openly push his agenda. I think it's part of a bigger strategy, actually, to normalize the idea of globalism that was kind of launched with Brexit to get people to choose or ask for globalism. There's a great RAND study from the 50s that analyzes the communist use of this strategy of normalization or strategy of legitimization, as the study calls it, I believe. They talk about how communists are always actively working to subvert democracy, but because open communism turns people off you know it scares people they work under the guise of democracy they co-opt organizations and they use the language of democracy to spread communism meanwhile they are also working to legitimize communism and they yeah. slowly legitimize it and then they start coming out in the open again once people are accepting it and i think that that's kind of what we're seeing with george soros because he is one of the biggest funders of the blue wave i think they will always want a a facade of democracy, which they all do. Like they, they, I think even in the USSR, they had votes. They like the facade of democracy. Democracy is the most powerful uh, tool of the tyrant, in my opinion. I have concluded that because it it makes you think that it's 
other people, your peers, and it divides you right in half, right down the middle. You can't look up at the monarch and cut his head off. You look across at your neighbor and you want to cut his head off. And they absolutely love that. And it makes you feel like you're responsible, undermines your, quote, faith in democracy. They need it They and they can use it with three things, media, money, and um, uh, election corruption. Those are the three. Oh, manipulation, I think. I have uh, three M's. Anyway, machines, machines, voting machines, media, money, and machines. Yeah, democracy is very exploitable for a well-funded and skilled propaganda organization. Let me play you a couple of clips of CNN anchors and guests responding or reacting to Roseanne's tweets about George Soros. Listen to how they dismiss her claims, how they defend Soros. All things you might do if you're trying to normalize someone. Oh, and in this first one, notice how the guy intentionally misinterprets the tweet. He reads it literally, ignoring the obvious implications of it. Roseanne's support for the far right went beyond the studio, with attacks on gun control advocates, a particularly nasty comment about former U.N. Ambassador Susan Rice, and a stab at former President Clinton's daughter, calling her Chelsea Soros Clinton, suggesting she is married to the son of noted liberal billionaire George Soros. When Chelsea Clinton corrected her while still complimenting Soros, Roseanne apologized, but then repeated a false claim that Soros was a Nazi. Were you aware of that? But we all make mistakes, right, Chelsea? Roseanne Barr's tweets are frequently controversial, but this time really became a wildfire because of just how racist and bizarre the comments were. So the network pulled the plug. The chief executive of Disney, which owns ABC, tweeting, there was only one thing to do here, and that was the right thing. I knew you'd like that last part. (laughs) Because you're a Democrat or you're evil. Right. (laughs) Notice how he said, implying that... Chelsea Clinton was married to the son of George Soros. That doesn't even make sense. It implies that she is the daughter of George Soros and is married to Bill Clinton. Her middle name should be uh, Hubble. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how you get away with playing dumb like that. I mean, obviously they do. But this guy clearly knows that Roseanne was talking about financial donations. Of course. And... It is absolutely in evidence that Soros collaborated with the Nazis and loved every minute of it. That's what he says. Happiest days of his life. Yeah, but again, the guy plays dumb. He interprets the Nazi comment literally, you know, like Snopes would do. That way he can say, well, Roseanne said that Soros is a member of the Nazi party. He was never a member of the Nazi party. Therefore, this is a racist, anti-Semitic, false conspiracy theory. And he just ignores the truth that that comment was based in. Roseanne actually tweeted a lot of things about Soros that were true that got treated the exact same way. And this is how they blind people from the truth. One of the tweets that she made was about how Soros causes economic destabilization around the world. And it got treated the exact same way. Yet Soros doesn't deny this. This is true. He openly talks about this. But because they clump it with that first tweet, that racist tweet, they're able to just dismiss everything. That's that. Those are like actual logical fallacies. Like they, you know, in the list of logical fallacies, it's like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Exactly. It's total fallacy. What they're saying to their audience is 
Roseanne made a racist tweet. Therefore, Roseanne is an evil, racist, crazy person. Therefore, you can't believe any of these other crazy anti-Semitic tweets she made about George Soros. That's why it's perfect for normalizing the guy. Anytime their audience hears someone bring up something about George Soros, no matter how true it is, they will immediately think of Roseanne and say, Whoa, you've been listening to a little too much crazy Roseanne, dude. And they'll just never think about the claim again. Right. All right, I want to play one more clip that illustrates just how hard they're defending Soros and how they're characterizing Donald Trump Jr.'s retweet of Roseanne's tweet about Soros. This is Jake Tapper on The Lead, and this is how he characterizes the tweets and some commentary from some of the people on his panel. Among her many tweets uh, this morning... Uh, were a couple having to do with George Soros, lies about George Soros, who was a survivor of the Holocaust, um, uh, about him being a, a Nazi, <laughs> about whatever, just, just lies about George Soros. And uh, Donald Trump Jr. Uh, retweeted some of these conspiracy uh, theory tweets about George Soros. Now, you're not necessarily responsible for your own retweets. I mean, maybe he was... Oh, I think you are, Jay. You are, okay. I think you're <laughs> yes. responsible for your retweets. You're responsible when you make the conscious decision to click that button. And so I, um, it's, I hope folks are ready to jump on the bandwagon and call Donald Trump Jr. anti-Semitic, say that he is trafficking in bigotry and anti-Semitism and that has no place here in America and condemn it. I hope folks call on the president to address his son. Okay, I'm going to find the tweet that Donald Trump Jr. retweeted and read it to you to show you what they're calling anti-Semitism. I would also say, I mean, if you're you would have to separate the son out from the family completely because Trump's uh, Israel policy anyway is to move the embassy to Jerusalem. And his son-in-law, Kushner, literally shared a bed with Netanyahu, and he's in charge of the peace process, which is a, you know, it's a farcical to, to have somebody with that kind of a conflict of interest in there. And, uh, and his grandchildren are Jewish and his daughter is Jewish. I mean, this idea that Trump is somehow the father is somehow anti-Semitic. I mean, it's, it's preposterous. Yeah, I know. Am I wrong? I mean, I just don't, I, I, if it's just the son, okay, but I mean, it seems. Anyway, read the tweet. All right, I got it. This was one of Roseanne's tweets that Donald Trump Jr. retweeted. Soros' goal the overthrow of the U.S. Constitutional Republic by buying backing candidates for local district attorney races who will ignore U.S. law and favor feelings instead and call everyone who is alarmed. Racist. That was what Tapper was saying was anti-Semitic. It was one of the two that they had on screen while they were having this discussion, and she. And also, we know that's absolutely well, true about Soros I, and the I have DA. A clip. I have an audio clip of them of, of Vice News from a year ago describing all of the district attorney races that Soros is investing in and why he's investing in them. I'll play it for you in a second, but this tweet is true, and you can easily prove it. But they're throwing it up on the screen saying, here's one of the conspiratorial lies that Donald Trump Jr. retweeted and then calling him anti-Semitic for retweeting it. Now, the other one, this, this is probably the one that they are uh, leaning more of their anti-Semitism theories on. We mentioned this earlier after playing the CNN clip. This is the second Roseanne tweet that Donald Trump Jr. retweeted. 
George Soros is a Nazi who turned in his fellow Jews to be murdered in German concentration camps and stole their wealth. Now, that is an exaggeration of a truth. Did not turn anybody in? I don't know. What he describes is, is Soros describes going around with this man who was his secret protector, who said yeah. – who swore that he was his Christian son and assisting in the confiscation of yeah. Jewish people's uh, property. Now, yeah. I don't know if that means taking them in or not. No, I don't. Yeah, that's right. That's all I think I ever heard him say. Yeah, but the fact is, though, that that property was confiscated on behalf of the Nazi government, and he said that he assisted in confiscating it or in the process of it. So say whatever you want. That fits a definition of collaborating. Snopes would have a field day with a tweet like that. Snopes has already worked on some of this. All right, I want to play you that clip of Vice News talking about all the district attorney races that Soros has funded and why. I think you'll find the clip triggering. Let me see if I can find it here. How can Jake Tapper maintain that level of righteous indignation? You're in and you're out. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Every single word he says, I can just picture his head cocked. He's just disgusted all like, the time. It's definitely wrong. Whatever. I don't need to tell you why. Right. All right. Listen to this. Fox and Ayala are the latest in a string of progressive prosecutors who all have one thing in common. Backing from the liberal billionaire George Soros. Since 2015, Soros has funded 14 reform-focused candidates in local district attorney races, including primaries, across the country. Ten of them are now in office. And one, Larry Krasner is standing for general election in the fall in Philadelphia after winning the Democratic primary in May. Soros' contributions flow through state-level PACs that all share the safety and justice moniker. All in all, Soros has spent $11.2 million on DA races. So why spend so much money to elect local prosecutors? There's almost no reform we want that prosecutors couldn't implement today using their own discretion. If you want bail reform, then prosecutors can simply stop asking for bail. If you want to see shorter sentences, then during plea bargaining, prosecutors just offer lesser sentences. They have so much discretion. There's nothing they couldn't really accomplish if they didn't want to. Faf says that if Soros wants to make the most impact, he should focus on prosecutors in rural areas. The high population counties have been decarcerating and, and becoming more progressive in criminal justice matters for years. Less urban and more rural counties are becoming actually tougher. It isn't always easy to find progressive challengers outside of cities, but that may change if Soros-supported candidates keep winning. That speaks to what you've been talking about wow. in rural areas. Yes, yes. Uh, oh, so rural areas have been getting redder, I guess. I didn't realize why they were targeting them. So George Soros did that in Henry County, and I guess it was the incumbent who bowed out because he said not only is he funding them, that's not the problem. It's how nasty he gets. And who knows what he does with that. But I got to say, I just had an aha moment here. They, there's this thing I have not been able to figure out. It was launched with the Starbucks PSYOP. And I just saw it today. Some people in Oakland had uh, made big news, say, Oakland, California, saying that never call the cops for any reason. There's this thing, never call the cops for any reason. And what this guy was just saying, because I'm thinking, why, why, why do they want the DAs? You know, I can think of reasons, but I need to understand it. And he's saying, less bail, let people out, decarcerate. Hey, I'm all for that if it's a if it's a 
nonviolent crime, if it's a malaprohibited crime, any kind of drug crime, any of that. But if you're a, if you have aggressed, <laughs> been aggressive towards somebody's person or property, you know, if you steal or rape or whatever or trespass at a Starbucks, that's a real crime and that needs to be stopped. If what these people are doing, and it started with Ferguson, I said they were pulling back from the inner cities. It was happened in Baltimore because crime is too low. People don't want government when they don't have crime. I knew they would have to turn that around. Bloomberg and Nixon made entire careers out of uh, uh, promising safety in the face of crime. So this pulling back on the cops, pulling back on this, uh, makes the it will increase crim, crime rates. So I actually the past thirty years have seen, or twenty years or so, thirty almost has seen a tremendous decrease in crime. And I can't help but think, yes, personal gun ownership has gone up. The crack epidemic has abated more or less. They say, but incarceration rates are through the roof. And I don't. I'm not in favor of incarcerating people who haven't committed actual mala and say crimes. But the fact is policies have, have really resulted in lower crime and they want to roll that back, not only to give government more power as a general rule, but the power they're going to bring to bear is surveillance Total surveillance, clear backpacks, spot shotter, audible surveillance, video surveillance, change the schools, um, bring the militarization of the police as this stuff goes uh, out of control. Pre-crime, you know, where they're going to have to start policing areas because you can't actually deter crime. You understand what I'm saying? Like this is a an element of the transformation of society, and they certainly don't want rural places Trump supporting places to have a better quality of life. They're hitting them from every angle. Yep. Wow. That was very, very uh, enlightening. Yeah, it is enlightening, which is why they call it a false conspiracy theory when Roseanne tweets it, and they call it anti-Semitic when Donald Trump Jr. retweets it because they don't want people to be enlightened. They want people to be in the dark. Yes, and I will say the reason... You always have to go to that. It always has to fly in your face is uh, they use those accusations that those slurs to do what they're exactly what they're doing with Roseanne, which is to say you must dismiss this person entirely. Exactly. Because they're a, that person is a bigot. I've heard on Fox more than once. There's nothing worse than being a bigot. Like I personally think child rape is worse. Right. But there's nothing worse than being a bigot. That person should not no matter. Trust me, it's wrong. She's a bigot. You know, it it negates any need for due process, evaluation, nothing on anything. And it amplifies this negative stereotype of what a Trump supporter is, and it turns it into something to fear and a reason to go out and vote in order to stop from. Well, yes. I mean, that's the that's the obvious. I mean, that sorry, that was clear when you first presented that, that she's launching the summer of hate. And they did not have one panel discussion where at least one, sometimes two people in passing brought up, you know, we got a president here. He says there's good people on both sides in Charlottesville. 
they de facto talk about Charlottesville anytime something like this occurs in order to keep it in people's minds so that when they're going around and canvassing door to door, they can go, remember Charlottesville, you don't want that to happen here because it's coming. So they keep in this stuff fresh and salient in people's Even minds. Even Gary Cohn triggered. said that. Gary Cohn, who was the economic advisor to Trump, who stepped down not at that point, but later, he said anyone, or not only him, other people said it, anybody who could see moral equivalence in Charlottesville, there was another, it wasn't Gary Cohn, he said something like that, but there was another thing we talked about who said anyone who could see, maybe it was a Lakoff clip or whatever, anyone who could see moral yeah, equivalence like, in Charlottesville is obviously a piece of crap. But you don't, yeah. but what happened in Charlottesville, it, you, you don't have to say there were good people on both sides, but it's for sure true there were bad people on both sides. Right. And here's the thing. There wasn't just two sides. There was probably about 10 different sides. There was people there to observe it. There was people there who didn't there associate with the Nazis. Do I? They were, uh, sorry, there were operatives. Yeah, and operatives. The fact that they simplified into being two sides is the trick because that yeah. takes away all the nuance. But you even have to kind of be fine with whatever Antifa comes up with because you're either a Democrat or you're evil. Yeah. So anything exactly. in the name of the left is, a, well, we had to get violent. I mean, that's what they're saying. Now, the ACLU guy says, don't break, don't worry about breaking rules. And the guy from, if I keep saying the guy from Panama, I can say, do not remember his name, but that's just such an unusual uh, characteristic. But um, in our political activism, that uh, he and that uh, person at the Stacey Abrams protest was saying that this is what happens. Or when the Starbucks guys who were arrested said rules are rules, but right is right. Yeah, you yeah. Just... I heard somebody on CNN. I have the clip somewhere, but... Uh... Yeah, I don't know where it is, but she she was asked how she thinks Trump is going to react at his rally in response to what happened to Roseanne getting canceled. And she was like, well, you know, we have a president. He sees moral equivalency on both sides and good people on both sides. I, I expect to see some both sideisms tonight. <laughs> both sideisms. Ah, but there aren't two sides. Well, one side is evil. Exactly. You know, so, the parallels with Trump, they really created an Nixonian character with Trump where like, it, like all this Russia stuff is so Watergate. And I mean, I can even anticipate like the Cohen files, I really believe is like when whoever it was, Ellsberg psychiatrist was broken into and his files or secret files of a bunch of different people were taken away. And I anticipated that that would be replicated. I didn't think it would be a lawyer. I thought it would be a doctor, but it was lawyer. Yeah. And, um, and I, Somebody said this Roseanne thing, it's the parallels with Archie Bunker were just kept rearing their uh, ugly head at me. And I remembered this clip. Do you ever hear the clip of Nixon talking about all in the family? No. Oh, there's this clip on the tapes, Nixon tapes, whatever. It's like hard to believe it's even real, but I, I can't imagine it's not. He talks about how the conservative blue collar guy, Archie Bunker, he kept calling him Arch, was um, demonized for criticizing homosexuals. Like just the whole thing goes on and on about this crazy show and how is this on TV and Archie's right, but he looks like a dope and the the good characters are um, the progressive, liberal, bisexuals or whatever. Like he's really getting into it. And... I can't help but think that might have inspired this psyop. 
Yeah, possibly. I know that's, 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 very, that's very similar. I see the parallels there. It's interesting. Yeah, but the Roseanne show, I see these psyops unfolding for years. So the prison reform thing is coming up. Kim Kardashian and Van Jones are in on it. They're representing both sides. Two-sidedism. Oh, I'm gosh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you're going to get prison reform, and it's going to be a... <laughs> complete corrupt fascistic enterprise no question because i've been seeing it unfold for several years now ever since the new york prison escape that paralleled the plot of the tv show prison break so i'm just saying you can see these psychological operations they start years in advance so this roseanne thing I mean, I'm trying to get my head out of the conspiracy hole, but it's well. They it's pull from of, history, you know. You, people don't come up with these things on their own. They use examples from history. I know, but it sounds crazy to think that the Roseanne show was destined to have this, to have some impact like this. CNN but brought that up so that they could dismiss it. By the way, there was a brief segment. Oh, there really? Were, people said that they that ABC only kind of like the Starbucks thing we talked about, and what you're saying here that ABC only got that show so that they could later, you know, get rid of her for this purpose. Oh, all right. So I'm not crazy. No, well, I, mean, I might be crazy, but me and this. a bunch of other people are too. They talked about it, then they laughed it off so that they could dismiss it. But like one or two of them were like, ah, that'd be, I don't know if they're that smart. That's like, just what they did with the headstones in the Jewish cemetery. Yeah. And then the guy who actually did it was a guy who worked for Glenn Greenwald's Intercept. I'm still scratching my head about that. Like, I still do not understand what that guy's angle was if he was meant to be caught or it was a false flag or what but you said these guys are laughing at the prospect that this was a false flag or prank and then they never readdressed it weeks later when the guy was caught and clearly it was it was he was doing some operation yeah i remember that it was michael moore and i think chris matthews yeah michael moore and chris matthews are laughing at the suggestion that it wasn't like a Trump supporter that did it. And then it turns out that it wasn't, and you know, you never hear about it again from them. Oh, for no reason at all, my pediatrician on whatever it was two days ago said, you know, it was so great that ABC just like, or whatever it was, just stood up and, and, uh, and made that decision. Like that's, I'm really proud of it. I have hope yeah. now, whatever. Yeah. Why? My corporate America. Yeah, no. the, the, the resistance is standing with corporate America. Ah, that's real revolutionary that's right there. Oh my gosh. That's so crazy. You're right. Oh, world corporation. They used to be anti-war. Now they're pro corporation. I'm so rock and roll. I'm pro corporation. Oh my gosh. All right. I want to play you a quick montage that illustrates how CNN described Roseanne's tweet and described Roseanne, the language that they used and the tone that they had, because this is the language and this is the tone that every Republican candidate for office uh, during the 2018 midterm elections is going to be described by their opponents. All over the country, every Republican or anybody who's not running as a progressive is going to be described in this exact same way. Here's the montage. 
ABC firing comedian Roseanne Barr today, canceling her TV show after she sent racist and bigoted tweets. The tweet that sank a TV empire. Get off Twitter. Focus on the show. Give up the conspiracy theories. Racist Twitter rant. They both traffic in conspiracy theories and bigotry. On Twitter, promoting racist, hateful conspiracy theories. Nakedly Islamophobic, nakedly racist abhorrent, repugnant, lie-packed crusade, false conspiracy theories, unhinged conspiracy theories, brand new conspiracy theories. That's it. Too much. Racist. Racist and bizarre. Donald Trump Jr. uh, retweeted some of these conspiracy uh, theory tweets about George Soros. Call Donald Trump Jr. anti-Semitic. Say that he is trafficking in bigotry and anti-Semitism. There was no way to keep her on the show given these racist and anti-Semitic messages. She would tweet about fringe conspiracy theories. She's been pushing conspiracy theories and other things on Twitter for a while. This isn't, of course, the first time she has said something racist or trafficked in conspiracy theories. It's not as though this was the first time she had ever demonstrated a predilection for conspiracy theories or abject racism. She was alt-right before we knew what alt-right was, right? What she posted today was insulting to African-Americans, to Muslims, to Jews. This was racist hate. Hiding behind memes and jokes to push racism and anti-Semitism. To appeal to Trump supporters without being in business with a conspiracy theorist. Somebody who says racist things and conspiracy theories. People wanting to believe ridiculous conspiracy theories that they read about on the fringes of the Internet. Through line of conspiracy theories and racism, Roseanne and somebody else prominent in America. Will President Trump spread spread a conspiracy theory about why Roseanne was canceled? So many lies, so many things to fact check. That was a good one at the end. So it's conspiracy theories that is racist and anti-Semitic. These are all news, news shows, right? So they're just yeah. This so was, when you do it like that, it's so obviously propaganda, you know, just pure propaganda, contentless propaganda, because nobody actually trafficking. Did, a lot of trafficking and racism and trafficking you know, and conspiracy theories. Show the clip of him on sixty Minutes talking about his experience with the Nazis and saying, "Well, somebody did today." No, they didn't. But oh. today, I noticed that. Washington Post and New York Times had all come out with yeah, articles saying yeah. he wasn't a Nazi collaborator. He yeah. was 14. So they dismissed the mm-hmm. kernel of truth mm-hmm. and they continue to defend George Soros because he's such a victim. This is a liberal billionaire who has admittedly destabilized countries by messing up their economy. Who- so if someone does a school shooting and is only 14, is that – is he going to pass? He's, yeah, he's not a school shooter. He's 14. Next week, George Soros is going to be hashtag me tweeting Roseanne. <laughs> when Trump okay. was first elected, somebody tweeted to me, oh, George Soros is going to go to jail now. And my response was, I don't know if I tweeted it back, but I've said to you on the air, we'll see if George Soros lands yeah. on his feet or not. Yeah. We shall see. Yeah, I'd say he's doing just fine right now. All right. Now, this clip here is an example of one of the ways that – CNN jumped at the opportunity to demonize Trump supporters with this Roseanne tweet story, how they linked the whole thing to Trump supporters. Are you allowed to be a public figure and voice these really nasty thoughts privately and then enjoy a leadership position, whether it be in the media or in politics? I think we're getting to a better place. Previously, that answer was yes. She can say these things. She can dress up as a Nazi and hide behind memes and satire to promote really horrible things. And that's something that a lot of Donald Trump supporters do. Maybe Donald Trump 
has made people in corporate America rethink that kind of position. Personal conduct does matter. Mm. And we're not going to give these people a wonderful platform if they use that influence to hurt people. They slip in. All of the Donald Trump supporters also do this. We shouldn't give them a platform to speak on. Interesting. I was stuck on her dressing up as a Nazi. She did not. (laughs) She she did this years ago. She put on a Nazi thing, which lots of comedians have done because they all everybody goes through a phase where they act real shocking. Yep. Well, look, here's the thing that I'm focused on with that clip. I got you about um, just blanketing Trump supporters this way. Excuse me. But the the more important theme here to me is uh, the idea of economic persecution. R. Kelly was taken off of Spotify. Uh, She's losing her thing. Cosby obviously lost his show for this. I expect them to get their their Hollywood stars ripped up. But it's the way these things start is you do something. You have all these people. Maybe you just exploit you're only focused. Let's just take the, the rabbit hole out of it. You only focus on the people who do things that are outrageous and definitely true, or they don't deny Matt Lauer, Roseanne, Cosby, whatever. And then, and then, you know, it's like the racism thing. Well, you used to not be able to say racist things. That's great. You shouldn't. It's outrageous. Then everything you say and do is racist because of your race. Okay, so then all of a sudden you have microaggressions, stuff that you really can't control. You don't know. And other people are telling you that it's wrong and bad and offensive. Then that's the stuff that's going to get punished through economic persecution. So I check your Facebook page and depending on your politics, I cannot hire you. Not even because I don't want to, but because you're not Twitter blue check certified. Yeah, and it folds in with what the Starbucks training was emphasizing that if you don't make people feel welcome, which is impossible to make everybody feel welcome, no matter how hard you try, because people walk into situations already assuming and believing that they are going to be treated unfairly. So they project that and they see it where it is not. So it creates a self-fulfilling prophecy. So it's an impossible standard. But if the person doesn't subjectively feel welcomed and equal, treated equally, then you have committed unconscious racial bias. It has nothing to do with the fact that they have been conditioned to see the enemy every time they walk into a place. Yes, and it's disempowering. I hate that. And it's funny that you put it that way because I teach my kids the exact opposite. My daughter was mad at her friend and she was going to say something to her. And I said, and she started to tell me what she was going to say. And I said, "Don't, don't start with you make me feel. Because she's not making you feel anything. Yeah. You feel how you feel. She did what she did. And you can say that. I felt this way after you did that. But nobody, and I know semantics, maybe not, but I want to make it crystal clear to her. People don't make you feel some way. They do what they do. You feel what you feel. Make sure you understand nobody has control over your heart and soul and mind. Yeah, because this is how, that's how you become helpless if you attribute these feelings to things that other people do. And if, it's how you hate other people. Exactly. You're, you're, yes, you disempower yourself, and you give them this power, and then you hold them to this standard, and, and then you put on them that they meant to get this out of you. And it's just – it's not it, – it's – um. you know, it's just beneath you. It's uncharitable and, and, and weak. In the Starbucks training – 
they showed a video, a documentary that was made specifically for the training. And one of the guys, if we have time, I'll play it. But one of the guys who previously he spoke about how every time he walks into a place, he's just trying to get a sandwich. But he he knows he's just thinking about how am I going to have to fight? Am I going to have to teach him a lesson? He, he, he This is the mindset that he takes in every time he's buying a freaking sandwich. So he's walking <laughs> into a fist fight. He's ready. Hey, you know, we had people call in for our show from Atlanta saying, you know, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> right. Yeah. So Cause I said, like, what's your personal experience? Is this your life? Is your life like, like, uh, if you're, if you're that embattled, would you really need, um, uh, counseling after being denied use of the bathroom? Cause that's what the kids, that's what was going on with the Starbucks thing. Like, I just can't bear how hurt these men were. <laughs> it's like either they're living in a war zone or there's snowflakes, but there's no, you know. Yeah, and he actually, I'll I'll play that one for you because if you really th- if you take a second, like if you sit down and reflect on that mindset and how our psychological biases work and how they're reinforced. If we've all been in situations where we thought about, man, I know what I'll say. I'll know what I'm going to do if I see so and so, and they say one word to me, I'm going to go off on them. Right? Everybody's had that a uh, moment like that where they thought that. If you have that feeling every time you go buy a sandwich because you are certain the person you're buying the sandwich from is your enemy and is going to discriminate against you, it does not matter what the sandwich shop does to make you feel welcome <laughs> because you decided long before you walked in that you're fighting when you go in And there. actually, there are pissed off a-holes walking around like that. Exactly. I mean, we've all known them. I think they're like dry drunk sometimes. People like quit but don't want to quit. Like you just, you have the guy you know who's like always kind of pissed off. Yeah, and we have but mirror neurons. We mirror each other and the emotion is contagious. Mm-hmm. So if someone comes in ready to yes. fight, that is yes. going to spread. Yes, I've noticed that in my own life. There's a gal I knew I should like, and we just freaking uh, go right at it. And I said, you know what? I think I have a little bit of a problem here. I'm going to stop arguing with everything she says. And I did. And like, she's totally nice. I was just freaking something about my approach. Like, really? Blah, 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 blah. You know, it was turning her off, you know, free, putting up her guard. And it was totally reactionary. Yeah. The thing about this guy is they go back to him later in the training video, and he talks about how it broke my heart, and he sees angry still. It broke my heart when I knew I had to tell my son that he's going to have to live in this world, just a, just a mud river of racism. I'm like, okay, well, there's the problem. The racial bias training isn't what your kid needs. He needs a father that isn't conditioning him to hate every Yeah, person. why would he have to tell him that? Right, he doesn't. Why? He's reinforcing the problem by doing that. Now, here, here's this clip of this guy. Um, this is a, a documentary they played to the Starbucks baristas for the racial bias training. Wow, this is crazy. This is social conditioning. Listen to this. I think all of us make that choice at some point of, am I going to take the burden of this interaction being comfortable, or am I going to say you take the burden? of this interaction being comfortable because what I really want is a sandwich. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to fight. I'm hungry, right? I don't want to get into this with you and I'm really not here to teach you this, but other times it's like, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> Lesson time. Lesson time. 
What is he getting into? They're very vague. They're not specific. And what's funny about it is if you think about the white privilege that these statements presume, they have built this impossible stand. They they built this white person that does not exist. I mean, they literally had a white guy appear in this documentary and act like he's never faced any problem or had any psychological uncertainty ever in his life. And then they made this caricature of a white person the standard that the people of color expect to meet, this impossible standard. And they literally had somebody come on after the white guy and say, I want to be like that white guy who doesn't have any problems, has no worries, has no fears. They played all these testimonials from various people of color, and they described their how they felt, how their struggle for equality and social spaces has been, and how they're always discriminated against. And as you'll see, almost all of these problems everyone experiences because they're psychological anxieties. It's uh, yes, that's what I always thought. I always said that about if you teach teenagers that the source of their insecurity is outside of them. They're going to think that because teenagers are very insecure. So if you say it's because you have kinky hair, they're really they're like, I can't do anything about my hair. This is awful. The world is so unfair. I hate it. You know, and this guy saying that that this time the burden is on you when the person behind the counter is not aware that every interaction is a fight. Right. What is the. I don't know. Maybe they have something to teach me. Was there anything that maybe I'm wrong? Maybe I need the entire premise of this thing is that white people have no struggles and everything falls in their lap. They don't even have to think about it. That is the that is the this terrible, terrible myth I've noticed for a long time is that and you're talking me. I'm the youngest of nine. My father's a truck driver. I went to Harvard from community college, dropped out of high school. My my life was miserable and arduous my entire life i worked six nights a week as a as a waitress and then lo and behold my first baby had down syndrome i mean i did not get lemonade already made you know and uh and this idea that that other people you know that what you really want to teach people is you can surmount those problems. The reason that person has that situation, which you envy, is because he or she surmounted those problems. And the funny thing is, even it, even if they switched places, not I'm not talking about racially, but I'm saying you take somebody who doesn't understand that and you switch it with somebody who who ha, who has done the hard work, you switch their lives right then and there, their lives will switch because the person who does the hard work probably has actually a much harder life because it's a lot of work to keep a nice house clean. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a lot of work. My sister's like that. She was a drug addict and she would be like, well, you don't, you don't know what it's like. I'm like, of course I don't know what it's like, but yeah, he, yeah. if we switched right now, you would destroy my family and I would clean your house. You, know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you can't, it's the worst possible thing to tell and, and and yes, there is privilege. There were people at Harvard who inherited jillions of dollars. Yeah. But that's like a minority of the people you're running right. into, a tiny minority. Right. This this training, we, we got a couple the minutes. Guy, I know. I'm sorry. I'll give you five extra minutes. But the guy, the person working behind the counter at, at Starbucks is not the guy who just inherited a billion dollars. Yeah. This training ignores that reality. Instead, it tries to create a reality where – all white people 
always feel great, have never not felt great, and everything is easy for them always, all the time. And it has made this impossible standard the expectation, saying that if everybody doesn't feel this way all the time, welcomed is how they characterize it, if they don't feel welcomed like this white person has always felt welcomed everywhere they've gone all the time, never, no anxiety, carefree everywhere, if you don't feel like that everywhere you go, then systemic racism is why you don't feel welcomed or why you don't feel comfortable. Ignoring a long list of other potential contributing factors to why someone might feel a certain way in a certain circumstance. Right. The problem is it's actually it's it's creating that problem because yeah, it's great. You're not going to feel welcome if you think you're not welcome. And then if you go in saying it's your turn, it's lesson time or it's your turn to bear the burden of this. What is that other person who does not really know? And then so now you have these baristas who see people come in of different ethnicities and just panic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and what kind of signals are that? I used to not really think that hard about that. There was some crazy difference between us. And now you're telling me that you come in thinking we have to fight. (laughs) Like I didn't know that about you. (laughs) Now I'm freaked. And another person who gives a testimonial, she starts the testimonial off by saying, I go into places and I know people look at me and I I assume that they're looking at me because they're making these uh, judgments about my race. And I'm like, well, there's your problem right there. You walk in assuming everybody's being racist. If everybody's a racist in your mind, when you walk in, you're going to see racism. That that is the only thing you can That's guarantee. Actually, said, and I'm sure it's true for a lot of people. And and it's and especially if that's what your dad teaches you. Yeah, exactly. And then you can get into it into a situation which I'm not I'm not saying I'm firsthand aware at from a racial point of view, but like my daughter gets all this stuff off the internet that says you should be able to walk around naked and no one can rape you. And it's like, yes, obviously nobody is ever allowed to rape you, but you shouldn't walk around naked. And she's like. I can wear whatever I want and it doesn't matter at all. So then she dares it. Yep. There's someone who, one of the testimonials, a girl says, I walk in and I know, I think it's the one who talks about assuming. I know people are looking at me and I can't take away my blackness. And I assume they're making these judgments about my race. And this girl, when you look at her, has a haircut that a boy would nor- that you would normally see on a boy she has a nose ring which you might see if you see 100 people a day you might see a couple that have nose rings and she's wearing a polo shirt that you might see a golfer wear and all of that is fine but it's also a novelty and the human brain is attracted to novelty so when they see a nose ring on somebody they they are not going to be able to help but glance at that nose ring a little bit longer than they might glance at someone's face who is who doesn't have one and if yeah, this and girl I bet assumes it, yeah. racism then she is missing the point that the stuff that she's wearing naturally draws attention so it might be they're looking at your nose ring and not looking at you because they don't like you. Because I also bet that there's a very deep lizard brain thing that makes people want to make a judgment call about sexual receptiveness. Yes. If you look at somebody, you're going to be like too old, too young, wrong gender. You yeah, know what absolutely. I mean? Everybody. So Everybody does that. If you wear stuff that is gender neutral or uh, different from your from what's probably your biological gender, I think people are going to look at you until they solve that problem in their lizard brain. It's perfectly natural to size people up. 
that we do that. That's a human you thing. You need to categorize them so you know they're not the tiger in the tree. Exactly. You're looking to see if it's a threat or a potential mate. Right. And yeah. Agreed. All right, I'm going to play one more of these testimonials. Just listen to this one and think about the white privileges that this assumes that all white people have. I have to make sure that I have given enough space between myself and another patron or another uh, commuter on the train. Just ensure that I'm not making someone uncomfortable. I have to make sure that my hands are visible when I walk into certain places so they make sure I don't, I'm not stealing. Um, I try to make sure I make eye contact with people who may or may not be security or managerial staff just to ensure that, you know, I'm not here to hide anything. Uh, I watch my tone to make sure that I don't come off as threatening. Just leaving the house some days, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's just keep you at home and just keep you away from everything. You're right, because white people have the privilege of walking around and speaking in threatening <laughs> tones and hovering as close as they want to anybody on the like, subway without worrying about anything. I'm, I do all of those things. I, I always keep too. my hands on. I do all of those things. He's conscientious. Yeah. I, I, I have to say, though, I'm sure that – I'm sure a lot of that is true. Yeah, but everybody knows you can't stand up next to somebody on the subway. No, I do every one of those things for sure. I always pay, take my hands when I'm walking out a door without buying anything at a store. Always have my hands up. If I see security, I'm like, this guy might have a gun. I'm yeah. going to show him a friendly face. When I'm driving, I always put both hands on the wheel if I see a cop so he doesn't pull me over for using my phone or whatever. You know, I don't know what the laws are, but I worry about that kind of thing. Yeah, I try to just not have trouble. <laughs> and that sounds like what he's saying, too. I know, but I'm sure I, I have to believe under certain circumstances, uh, the color of your skin does make people scrutinize you more. Yes. I, I do also think it's it's like that crazy statistic um, where a uh, a poor minority child from the inner city who does not have a father, no, who does have a father, is less likely to end up in jail than a rich white kid from the suburbs who does not have a father. So so you can have impact of, of poverty and race and stuff like that, but there are things that trump that. So like for me, there's no question in my mind that if I see somebody who looks like a drug addict, I don't care how non-threatening they are, what color they are, what gender. I want nothing to do with it. I'm crossing the street. And yeah, and from yeah. there, it comes to where you can judge on people who are going to try to steal from you or beg from you or con you or are just really fucking crazy and are going to, you know what I mean, say insane things to you. Like, this is coming from a New Yorker, though. So, yeah. like, I don't look people in the eye on the street. I just would never do that. And um, I've had confrontations where somebody asked me for money. I'm like, no. And they're like, fuck you. It's like, well, uh, I'm never talking to you again, <laughs> you yeah. know? So there are a lot of parameters by which I kind of like dismiss people in my mind. Um, I personally think how you dress and like how, I think there are many, many, many more important factors than race and, and how that's, you- that's my point right there yeah. is that, yeah, there are, people do judge people by their gender, their race, the way they dress, other things. And I'm certain that some people are going to be more afraid of a big black guy on a subway train standing up next to them than they might a tiny little white dude who seems harmless. But they're not going to want to be – Especially up. if it's like in Harlem. Like I've right. been in Harlem where like 
I'm the only white person on the train. And then you're deep and it's late. And you're definitely going to be a little more worried than if the same big black guy is next to you and you're in in a different part of town. Yeah. Or if it's just another banker, then you really, I mean, you definitely, definitely do not care. Yeah. But I don't know. I'm not a study of people, a student of people. I don't know. I don't want to talk out my butt. I really don't know. It's not my area of expertise. We could do math problems. I could probably get to the right answer if we did some math. Well, I mean, all that stuff is accurate. It's been I don't know, though. I don't really know. If somebody wanted to tell me, like, you're wrong, I would really want to think hard about it. I just, I feel like, I, I just, it's like that John McWhorter book, Authentically Black. He's like, yes, there are, there are historical and cultural uh, disadvantages, but they're totally surmountable. And the worst thing you can yeah. do is, and other people have other problems. IQ has got to be right. more important and, than and, and anything that's, else. That's my in, point. In in material success and ability to, to deal with the world. I mean, nobody's denying that there are racial problems and there's been racial injustices throughout history. Nobody's denying that. But the premise of this training is that systemic racism is the one and only cause. And of course, the bottom line is they are obviously deliberately keeping it alive to exploit. They're making it worse. This is the craziest thing you could do, actually. Once we had Obama and it was clear that Democrats vote Democrat, Republican vote Republican, and, and taking that divide aside, he won in a landslide. People are not, it's not, it's as it, 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 it was as much of an advantage for him as a disadvantage. You know what I mean? Like we were at a point where we could have just healed. Just and, healed. Yes, healed. That we could have just been been gotten better, you know, like, oh, like yeah. healed the wounds. It's like when the mimetic thing from DARPA or whatever it was said, uh, enhanced dysfunctional subcultures. Why do that? Why not, you know? Heal dysfunctional subcultures if you're going to put, you know what I mean? Why do it yeah. this way? It's so clear that, that they're just making it worse and put it in everybody's minds that everyone's walking around thinking you're a piece of crap. If you're a Starbucks manager or barista who yes. can have this guy who's ready to fight walk in, and if you're so skilled at communication that you can disarm him and make him drop all those pretenses and have a welcoming experience, then you should be doing a six-figure communication trainings around the country, not making 20 bucks an hour at Starbucks. And that is a very high level skill. And imagine the clientele there. Really, I mean, I don't ever go in there, but I could never bring my, I mean, I rarely bring myself to the point where I'm paying $6 for a cup of coffee. Well, you know, it's only $2. Is it really? $2.75 for a Vente. Okay. uh, I got like three more clips to play. Yeah. My point with that one was, yeah, there are there's racial bias throughout history, but what he described is not a problem that's unique to black people. It's a problem that all humans experience. You know, the, in in our insecurities and wondering what people are thinking, we all experience those things. Yet they are saying that the cause of it is systemic racism when it's not a problem that's unique to black people. We all experience that. Now, here's the only white guy testimonial they gave. This is a freaking caricature. Listen to this. When I leave my house. Regardless of where I'm going, the I'm just leaving my house, just walking out the door. I don't I'm not walking out the door thinking what kind of hurdle am I going to run into today? What kind of way am I going to be judged? I walk out a free man. I just do my thing. 
put on a blindfold and drive. I know everything's going to work out perfectly. <laughs> I knew one guy in my whole life like that. I just could not believe. And I would say, aren't you embarrassed when you get that drunk and you do crazy stuff? And he said, no, who's ever going to be mad at me? He's a he, white guy. He was an insanely rich white guy. And oh I was gosh, like, so he was insanely rich. <laughs> and I mean, he bought a $4 million house to live in while his like better house was being built. And I was right. like, yeah, no one's ever going to be mad at you. I agree. <laughs> That that that's idea, it. That's the only that, one, though. Even that, the real billionaire who I actually went out with eventually went on trial for something. Like the, nobody's immune to pain. Not according to that clip. That clip implies that all the success that white people get doesn't come from anticipating obstacles and working around them. It comes from not thinking about them and never having to confront them because they don't happen. Like what's what are they? Do I count as as a privileged white person? I guess so. To tell you God's honest truth, when I was growing up, I was definitely the brownest girl yeah. I knew. I didn't like it. No, I mean I felt bad. <laughs> like funny. I did. I felt like it would the ideal is to be blue eyed and blonde haired. And it, you know, it made me feel less. I'm just saying it's true. But so do I get credit for that? <laughs> Do I get credit for that? As It's going to depend on the context and whose side you're on in that context. I don't know. I didn't let it uh, hold me down. When I went to Harvard, I had two roommates. One was super rich, and I didn't realize that she was condescending to me all the time until the other one explained it to me. She's like, she's such a bitch. I was like, are you kidding? She's so nice. She's like, she's making fun of you all the time. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, okay. So... Then, so then, you know, there was very, I, I eventually, after being exposed to like a lot of rich people, will, which will make you like feel bad about yourself and be a little envious that there are, there is this group of people, it's pretty small, who have like the silver platter thing. And, um, and even then I had to kind of train myself to realize how truly screwed up their families were, their lives, you know, like they were, I wouldn't actually trade with them. Like now I would absolutely, I don't even want, I don't even want that. Like I don't want extra anything because I feel like it's bad for people and kids and their souls and everything. So yeah, yeah. even if you have so-called privilege, don't screw yourself up by thinking everything's a fight. You know what I mean? Exactly. Feel bad for the people who get up in the morning and don't have to put one, their pants on one leg at a time, you yeah. know? That's not good for anybody. It's not good for them. They're not happier. They're and they have probably a much higher rate of mental illness than a regular person who works at Starbucks. Right. What's the saying? If all you have is a hammer, everything's a nail. If if everybody you see it who is white is an enemy, then and you believe it's going to be a fight, everything's going to be a fight. You know, it's yeah. it's this welcoming ex experience that Starbucks wants to create. It's not going to matter at all if someone is determined that you are their enemy. I think um, it's designed to create bad experiences. I think that you're right. I have. Do you have time for two more or one more clips? Let you oh, I have absolutely zero time, but I'll listen to both. All right. This is a sandwich guy that we talked about who is talking about how he has to teach his kid. It brought me such despair to the day I recognized I had to explain this to my son. That he was going to, that, that this muddy river of racism, he was still going to have to walk through it. We hadn't damned it. 
we hadn't dried it up. It was still there for him to go through. And I've got to somehow try to tell him, okay, off you go. You know, this This is so obviously a setup because those guys were cursing at the barista. They they violated the rules. I mean, I know. this is not this is not the muddy river of racism breaking down the plate glass windows at that Starbucks. Yeah. It, it, this was contrived for this opportunity. They're applying it globally. They asked Schultz. Somebody specifically asked Schultz, can you tell us for certain? that these two guys were arrested because of their race. Schultz avoids the question and goes, we're doing this here and we're doing it globally as well. You know where they're not doing it? Where? Franchised stores. So the corporate, there are 8,000 corporate owned stores, but there are 6,000 franchised owned stores and you'll never, ever, ever see stats on it. But I would love to see (laughs) if complaints go up. That's interesting at the corporate stores versus the franchise stores. And this could be a psychological experiment at the very highest level. So there might actually, they might actually collect those stats. That's interesting. I'll, I'm going to look into that. Mm-hmm. I have one final one. Maybe next time we can do some of the uh, questions in their uh, workbook, which are also. <laughs> totally. Totally. Here is the final testimonial. This is a woman. They don't give their names, but she is saying what she wants. And this is the standard that is prevalent throughout the entire training that they are looking to, um, to expect. The society I want to see is I want to be able to walk out the house just as free feeling as that white guy who said he doesn't worry about a thing when he walks out the door. I want to have that same expectation. You should be disappointed a lot <laughs> if anybody <laughs> has that expectation. That's very sad. I mean, it's crazy. I, I, I I think there are people who feel uh, many people who feel that way. Oh, I believe that. I believe that the white guy doesn't feel like that. But those people, I think a lot of people that there's been so much effort over the years to implant those ideas and and it's so disempowering. It makes people angry. Right. Yes. That's the lie. They make people believe that the standard that it's is how this white guy feels. Yeah. And this is impossible. This is a, an impossible. I had standard. that exact feeling at Harvard when I went to one of these finals clubs, these male clubs, and those guys were rich and they were, their fathers were getting the, uh, they were basically swapping internships at investment banks. And I walked away thinking, and I had to go in the back door because women weren't allowed to come in the front door. And that was the only time in my whole life. I was just like, Oh man, I don't have a chance, but I did. I got a great job. Yeah, you um, broke the pattern because you didn't accept the the uh, how the uh, the stereotype. I'm not sure it was a pattern. I think it just I had a moment of doubt, but I plugged on, and it wasn't true. I mean, society. (laughs) We do have the advantages. I'm not going to lie to you, but I had the horsepower, and that's enough. That's what this authentically black says. All you have to do is do it. Yeah, and, and this this guy, I mean, this white guy says he walks out and doesn't worry about a thing. He's just free. He doesn't worry <laughs> about ridiculous. obstacles. I would love to feel that way. I don't know a person in the world so feel that who way. feels that way. Do I, it. Well, but you could if you wanted to. No, As a matter of yeah, fact, right. you could. I got into yoga once and like real yoga sutras, like thinking about the philosophy. Yeah. And yeah. it said, like, never um, free yourself from desire. Don't worry about anything like live in the moment that was it i'm telling right. you i no, miss I, I agree that's improv philosophy right there yeah, we can go good i miss airplanes and i forgot to pack lunch for my kids 
You know what I mean? Like I could not function economically in Western society by living that way. I could do it, but that's why they sit on the street corner with an empty bowl and hope somebody puts rice in it because you can't function if you're not thinking about stuff that's happening. (laughs) It implies that this white guy and the standard white guy doesn't have the same psychological um, neurosis, the same, uh, uh, you know, self-doubt, the same insecurities that everybody else in the world has. And of course, people would like to not have these insecurities, but it is a natural part of the human experience to go through uh, roller coaster waves of these emotional experiences. And um, yes, and depression. You can also go through right. phases, but I absolutely and have. feeling welcome all the time. I, what person in the world has always only feel welcome other than that one uh, rich guy that you know? No one has. But they're <laughs> making people believe. He's been divorced three times. Maybe his tune has changed. That was after. But I absolutely have to go. My daughter's going to be late for They set them up to fail. And you're right. People feel that way. But by giving them an impossible standard that's not even real, it sets them up to fail. And it causes more division. Thank you. I know we ran over. Totally. My daughter's going to be so late for a softball game. Tell her it's my fault. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we will talk to you next time. (laughs) Later. See you later.